0: And please turn in your New Testaments to Ephesians 5 verses 25 through 32. Ephesians 5 verses 25 through 32 as we continue our series on union with Christ, organic spirituality. This is the word of God and it is the word of God about marriage. Ephesians 5:25. Husbands Love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing with water, with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, and she might be holy and without blemish in the same way. This mystery is profound, and what I am saying is that it refers to Christ and the church. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, we pray as we open this scripture about marriage that you would give insight and you would give grace to us and desire to walk in this love of Christ in our own marriages and to learn more what marriage can be. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want you to listen to to this statement of a uh, wife that I know. It's a pretty recent statement. Quote, I know my husband loves me because he lays his life down for me and he wants me to be my best. He wants me to grow and he cherishes me and cares for me. Now don't you wish that was your husband? It is. Because if you have a relationship by faith with Jesus Christ and therefore with Christ who took on flesh to rescue us, therefore you have a relationship with God, then Christ is that husband. We are the church. We are his bride. This is the good news to you this morning. He is the husband that perfectly loves you. And he is the husband that teaches us how to love in our marriage as well. Now we've taken several weeks to carefully study this this idea of of union with Christ that, that it's so wonderful Because union with Christ is not something, some uh, status that I have reached because of my achievement. And by the way, if it's something I have reached because of my achievement, I can lose it just the same because it's rooted in me. No, union with Christ is a gift based on what Christ Himself has done for us. As He has come and laid His life down and given Himself for us. And this cannot fail. And this cannot be severed. This is how close it is. We say that in faith, I am in Christ. In other words, you can't get any closer than that. There's nothing between me and Christ. I am in Christ and Christ is in me. In Ephesians 5, this union, this, this union with Christ is called a marriage. And Ephesians 5 says that the living earthly picture of what this looks like, as we kind of show and tell the world what the gospel looks like, is our marriages. Now, I don't know if you feel this to be as daunting as I already feel it to be. Because we're talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. We're talking about His perfect heart, His perfect mind, His perfection of love that we are called to love like Jesus loves. There's a lot in this passage. But I would like to simply convey this morning that marriage is about this. If you'd maybe write this sentence down, it is about giving yourself in sacrificial love for the other. Let me say that again. This is what marriage is. Verse 25, giving yourself in sacrificial love for the other. It is It is what Jesus did for us and what he's calling us in marriage to do for our spouse. Now today, uh, we will not get deep into what We refer to as the roles of marriage. In fact, I've got another sermon that maybe I can post on the website that will go deep into this entire passage about the different roles of marriage. I want to talk about union with Christ today. I want to talk about the love of Christ and how that's reflected through verse 25 primarily in our marriages. So the roles of marriage, just briefly, so you'll know what I'm talking about, that the wife respect her husband, verses 22 through 24, and that the husband love his wife like Christ loved the church, verses 25 through 31. And, and I want to focus more on the quality of this heavenly marriage with Jesus based on his initiatory love and put the main focus on Christ as our husband and union with him and, therefore, union with our spouse. But in so doing, we will focus on the challenge given specifically to husbands. Wives, we're going to skip your part this morning specifically to husbands in the text. Now, I I think I need to say something very important here. Please understand that these are primary roles that the Apostle Paul... These are kind of leading indicators of what husbands are like and what wives are like in this gospel-reflecting marriage. Um, But even though... Husbands are given the responsibility to love their wives and lead in love in this text. What follows is not just for husbands. The rest of the Bible, it is clearly seen that husbands need to respect their wives and submit to their wives. That's verse 21 of this text. Submit, therefore, one to another out of reverence for Christ and seen in other places of Scripture. Husbands are to respect and wives are to respect and it is also clearly seen that wives are to love their husbands. We see this in Proverbs 31. We see this in the Song of Solomon. We see this in all the commands of Jesus and in other places to love one another. And this doesn't mean accept your spouse if you're a wife. No, marriage is going to be built on the love of Christ for both parties. And the husband will be called to lead. Go first, if you will. Risk it. Love. So... Let's look at our marriages through the lens of Christ's marriage to us. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Now, if you were to read, and I'm just trusting a scholar here. Uh, I didn't read all the literature of the New Testament era. Although I have read some of that larger era. But um, people that have read a lot will tell you that this is a very unique way of looking at marriage that is not found in the ancient world. That the, 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 the works of literature around the New Testament era use different words for love in marriage than Paul uses. They typically use the word eros, meaning sensual love. Or philea, meaning um, family affection. These are the words that are used. Paul is not denying those words about marriage. It is. Marriage is about sensual love and it is about family affection. But Paul reaches out and chooses a word that is not used about marriage at that time. It's a different word and the word is agape and the the verb is agapao, and it means to love sacrificially. It doesn't mean sexual love. It does not mean family affection. It means gift love, sacrificial love. This was unique in this time, especially applying the, the verb agapao, or sacrificial love, to husbands Because husbands were supposed to serve, sacrifice for their wives at that time. But, uh, excuse me, wives were supposed to serve and sacrifice for their husbands at that time. And husbands were to be served and honored. Christianity, far from being some bigoted, right-wing, hate-filled religion lifted women christianity more than anything in the ancient world lifted women and leveled the ground in marriage wives were no longer seen simply as servants of their husbands they are now to be sacrificially served by their husbands do you see the flip there everybody knew wives were supposed to serve their husbands in the ancient world but this is specifically husbands Agapao, sacrificially serve your wives. This brought revolutionary change to the whole concept of marriage and to society. Here's what it means. It means that Christ laid down His life for His bride, and we are called to do the same for ours. We must lead in love. Um, We must say to our wives through our words and actions, follow my love. Now notice this is a command to love. You talk about a fish out of water, that's totally not with the current kind of feeling about what love is. You you know, today's world, it would be more like this. you can't command love. Love's a feeling. You don't command a feeling. Oh yes. you command love in Ephesians 5:25. You would expect the apostle to simply command husbands to lead. And now that wives understand that they need to respect their husbands and follow your leadership, you would think he would turn to the husband and say, Now take charge of this family and lead. That's not what he says. I mean, it was supposed to lead, but that's not how you lead. Surprisingly, Paul says, Husbands, agapao, sacrificially love your wives love her like christ loved you you know romans 5 8 is just one of my favorite verses about how christ loved us in spite of us how christ there wasn't anything that we gave christ for him to to come and save us that he would receive Romans 5 8 says, but God demonstrates his own agape or his own agape, his own love. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died for the ungodly. I mean, this is sacrificial love. And you know, if you put your trust in Jesus, the amazing thing. I trust you're still a sinner. I trust you still struggle with some selfishness. Like maybe once a month or something. Like maybe every hour or something. Or is that too generous? If you've put your trust in Jesus. Who has loved us by laying his life down for us. Don't you understand? He still loves you. He still gives you love though you struggle though i struggle though we struggle with our sins and we though we still don't love him as we should all these sins of confession that we have in church that say we we haven't loved you as we ought why we keep doing that because we haven't loved you as we ought and he still loves us And that relationship is defined by agape. It is defined by initiatory and sacrificial love that just keeps on loving, even when we remain unlovely. Aren't you glad His love for you isn't a feeling? Think about what I'm saying to you. Aren't you glad His love for you isn't a feeling? It's more than a feeling. That was for you 80s people. It's agape. It's, it's of his own choice. This is the verb. Uh, this is his choosing to sacrifice, his choosing to give. The great Puritan pastor Thomas Watson put it this way. It's just so beautiful. And I don't know if you love that Puritan prayer-like idea, but just so picturesque. Thomas Watson said, Christ has suffered more for his spouse, his bride, the church, than ever any husband did for his wife. He who crowned the heavens with stars was himself crowned with thorns. He was called a companion of sinners, so that we might be made his friend. He leapt into the sea of the Father's wrath to save his spouse from drowning. Christ's love did not end with his life. No, he is raised and he loves his spouse forever. is that beautiful? He has declared you worthy. By His choice of His love now and tomorrow and the day after tomorrow and for all eternity, the love that is pure gift, the love that is coming outside of ourselves, toward our spouse, that reflects and pictures this gift love, this sacrificial love of of God in marriage. So maybe we could say this, that... That we in marriage love our spouse in light of the cross. That's a painful kind of feeling sentence. Because it's painful to die to ourselves. It's painful to give. And I'm referring not just to husbands right now. I'm referring to wives as well. Marriage is a picture, a living picture, of the gospel. So, this is a verb. Agapao, this is not a feeling. This is commanded. And it becomes a choice of our will, an act of our will. We are commanded to love another center. excuse me, sinner, We are commanded to love another sinner called our spouse outside of ourselves with the love of Christ. Now, I love what my friend Ligon Duncan said in his treatment of this passage about how we disappoint one another in marriage. And he says, a Christian husband is called to love a woman who has broken his heart. Because that's also what we do in marriage. A Christian husband is called to love a woman who has broken his heart. And if he wants to put an if at the end of the command, husbands, love your wives if, then this kind of love will never happen. If she has respected you like you expect, if she has cared for you like you want, if she has loved you like you've always desired, if she has not failed you in some significant way. But I really love this part. And and this is kind of where the power of love comes from. I mean, you know, what if the, the love that you need to love your spouse isn't coming to you inside the marriage? What if you're just not feeling it? That's what we hear. So what if? I'll go back to his quote. You cannot give what you do not have. And if you do not have it from her, then you are incapable of giving it to her. So you must get it from somewhere else. And that somewhere else is from Christ." Who loved you and gave himself for you and whose love is more than enough for you to be able to love your spouse. When the apostle, I'm just still reading, when the apostle is saying you love with that kind of love when she has broken your heart or even shattered your dreams, you are called to love her. Because I didn't command you to love her if she fulfills her part. I commanded you to love her as Christ loves the church. And we never fulfill our part. Because we're still sinners. This is an unmerited love. The love of Christ for his bride. That is still the basis of any relationship with God. We can't rise to a holy God. We can't make ourselves acceptable to holy, holy, holy God of glory. So God took on human flesh specifically to save humans. God came here. God did for us everything that was needed. And when God died on the cross as a man, this is the connection between God and man. This is the only mediator between God and man. There's no other name under heaven by which we must be saved than the name of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. This is the basis of our relationship with Christ, this sacrificial love, but it is also the basis of Christian marriage that is to picture this love of Christ. Can I just say, um, we need this so much. I'm a fellow struggler with you, okay? We need this so much. One of the comforting things about distinctively Christian marriage is that we realize we are sinners who have been graced by God though we don't deserve His grace and therefore we can give grace to our spouse. We realize that we are sinners who have been forgiven by Christ When we didn't deserve to be forgiven, therefore we can forgive our spouse. We are sinners who did not deserve to be loved by Christ, and therefore we can love our spouse. This this Christian marriage is where sacrificial love is the basis of marriage. And because of that, there is always what you might call a reset button. It's one of the comforting things about Christian marriage, distinctively Christian marriage. Let me ask you something. Do you ever need a reset button in your marriage? Do you, do you ever need forgiveness? Do you ever need to just kind of rewind the tape on a few hours and go back and kind of start it over with one another? Christian marriage provides that because Christian marriage is a living picture of the gospel. It's beautiful. And where there is agape love, there is also security in the relationship. That's one of the distinctions of Christian love. You don't talk about the D word all the time. Divorce. You don't sling around the D word in Christian marriage because you love in spite of in Christian marriage. Christ's love is an overcoming love. Christ's love is a durable love, a patient love, and finally a transforming love because love casts out fear. And so marital love. Now please understand, I'm not talking about abuse here or something like that. I'm talking about two garden variety sinners that hurt one another and need a reset button. And need love. And need massive Jesus love just flowing into the relationship through a relationship with Christ. That's what we're talking about here. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ laid down his life for the church. Now, I hope you all know that everyone struggles within themselves. And every couple... If somebody tells you that they don't struggle, don't listen to them. Every couple has to work on their marriage. However, not everyone is willing to come outside of themselves toward the other and give to the other that agape love. Agape love in Christian marriages can at times be very scarce. And we find at those times that we're not as put off by other people in our lives as we are the very one that we made the promises to. And we're prickly toward one another. And we hurt one another. And that's because agape love has drained the same love that is the very basis of Christian marriage, the same love that is available right now in a living relationship with Christ to believers and believers who are married. And this is one of the reasons that Christian marriage is so important. And it's important not only for those of us who need love and need to give love, but y'all, it's important at this particular moment, like any moment. But I guess because I'm living in this particular moment, I always think it's more cute. I'm not sure but I feel like it's cute that the world needs to see this love in a Christian marriage. I just think the world needs to see this love. Don't y'all? This is what the gospel lived out supposed to look like. Giving yourself in sacrificial love for the other. Uh, I, I remember, it's been several years ago, I was listening to Ray Ortland Jr. preach at a conference and he said something and I wrote it down and I had to go ask for him to say it again because I wanted to write it down exactly the way he said it. This is what he said. He said, marriage from the beginning was meant to be a tiny social platform on which the love of Christ for his church And the church's responsiveness to him could be put on visual display. A tiny social platform where the love of Christ could be put on display. The gospel, he says, tells the story of God's pursuing faithful, wounded, angry, overruling, transforming, and triumphant love. And that story needs to be told to sinners that need grace. That story needs to be told through our marriages. And a focus on the love of Christ for sinners and this love in marriage is especially important at a time when people are being shown and told on the internet and through 10,000 other channels that they're missing out on what other people have. What you learn on the Internet today? I'm missing out on what other people have. It's exactly what we're being told. And there is a lot of low-grade, simmering under the surface, anger and depression. And I do not claim to be an expert in marriage. Especially in the practice of it. But I do know for sure that when the theme of our marriages becomes about what we don't have, it's hard to be about giving love at the same time. Can I just say that again? When the theme of our marriages becomes what we don't have, it's hard to be about giving love at the same time. And if you haven't figured it out yet, websites lie. Facebook lies, blogs lie, or at least a lot of half lies, trying to look good and make us think something that may not be completely true about that person. I remember when blogs were first getting popular in the early 2000s, one of Gina's friends had a blog and uh, I don't know if you know how blogs work. Still this way, there's the blog. And then, like, there's all these other people's blogs. Like, you could, like, go from this blog to that blog. And then, like, this is somebody you really don't know. And so now you're on their blog, and there's, like, all these other friend bloggers. And you could go, like, two removed from people you don't know. But it's so interesting to hear people talk about their lives, to talk about their marriages, at least the way they want you to see it on their blog. And Gina and I had some some really good conversations at that time about um, that what was in these blogs might not completely be true. And there was a blog, and I have changed the name to Protect the Guilty. We'll just call it, because this was kind of the name of it, but the names have been changed. We'll call it Susie and Billy's Happy Adventure. That's the name of the blog. Susie, what's our, what is, so what are Susie and Billy's life look like? Well, the name of their life is Susie and Billy's Happy Adventure. You can tell this is going to be a big lie. And here they are at Disney World. Here they are in this place. And here they are doing that. And here they are doing the other thing. And everything is just half, half, happy, happy all the time, 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 in Susie and Billy's Happy Adventure. Boy, you're missing out if you're not Billy or Susie. And then one day, Gina called me. She said, you you need to come look at this. And I looked at it, and I read it, and here's what I read on Susie's blog. Billy left me yesterday, so I probably won't be posting for a while. Yes, that happened. Don't believe everything you read. Don't compare your life to other people's lives. Marriage between two sinners requires nothing less than grace and love of the same kind of grace and love that Jesus gives undeserving sinners. And it requires a real world, not virtual world. A real world realism about our struggles. And it requires an understanding of our command to love as a choice, agapao, even when it doesn't feel like they, whoever they are, deserves it. Loving your spouse is a great thing. And it is not only a great thing for your marriage because we were made to love and to be close and to share and to give love and to receive love. I mean, this thing called marriage, that's the vehicle. That's the primary relationship that we can be. Remember, one flesh, Naked and unashamed, sharing, and loving your spouse even while you're struggling, and especially while you're struggling, is beautiful. And you know what? When you're the struggler and you see that your spouse just gave you grace and love, that's amazing and instructive within a marriage. But it's not just a great thing for you personally. It's not just great for the the strength of your marriage. It is also great for our little ones to see this in action as well. And by our little ones, I mean our children. And by our little ones, I mean our grandchildren. Or other little ones that we're around. I don't know what kind of little ones you're around as a married couple. And if you're not married and you want to be Make, take some notes because you're going to be a sinner the day you enter marriage too. you you know, I remember when Gene and I were engaged, someone said, you know, you're going to have to work on your marriage. I was thinking, not us. We love each other. L-U-V love. Everybody else might have to work on their marriage, not us. Yes, you will be a sinner entering marriage day one as well. So you might want to take a few notes. Um, these little ones see it, and they learn what it is. And, and y'all, I guess maybe that's to say it's so worth it. It's like You wonder if like putting it out there, you wonder if risking it, you wonder if initiatory love, even if you don't get back what you want just because you're commanded, you wonder if it's worth it. Well, you know what? Those little ones kind of help you see that it's worth it. And who you are as a human being. And the only shot you've got at a marriage that is a uniquely Christian marriage, depends on this. I think it's, it's worth it. And so needed by sinners who need love and need to give love in this primary relationship. So what do you want your marriage to be? Do you want it to be grace or not? You want it to be love or no? Do you want it to be giving or No. If it's like Jesus' love, then it will be giving yourself in sacrifice, sacrificial love for the other. Very quickly, the rest of this passage in one sentence. You didn't know I could do that, did you? Uh, maybe I can post something. That you can, We're PCA. I'm a PCA pastor after all. I'm supposed to be painfully... Um, specific about everything. Uh, so I'll post something on the internet that, that that takes us deeper into that. How about that? Uh, and it won't be a lie. Um, the rest of this passage that we read basically talks about the purpose for Christ's love for His bride and our love for our spouse, especially husbands in leading in love with their wives. And here's the purpose. It is to help them grow in grace... It is to cherish them and feed them so that they are presented radiant in the presence of Jesus one day. That's what the rest of the passage is about. But for now, marriage and union with Christ. God became a man so that we, through his sacrificial love, could have union with him. Marriage is to be a human extension of. Of the sacrificial grace and love that we have in Christ. And this is the kind of marriage and the only kind of marriage that breaks down barriers. And becomes something wonderful that is worth it. And changes us to be more like Christ. Because you will be challenged to love like Christ in your marriage in some ways more than any other relationship. Because it is your primary relationship. And it changes us and it becomes a form of the gospel on earth. Isn't that amazing? It becomes a living form of the gospel on earth, in our homes, and before a watching world. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this idea that is reality, that you, through your sacrificial love, through your actions of giving and emptying and dying, you have loved us. And you have given us, through your resurrection, union with you, the living Christ. And Lord... Thank you for marriage. Even though it is a challenge, it is a blessing. You yourself, after saying it's good, it's good, it's good, you said it's not good for a man to be to live alone. and I will create a helpmeet suitable for him. Lord you are the author of marriage, and you have given it so that it can be that place of loving and being loved, of knowing and being known and of expressing forgiveness, sacrificial love, one to another as sinners. Lord, would you help us to be willing to say we're sorry? Would you help us to be willing to choose to love sacrificially? And Lord, would you help us specifically as husbands to be able to lead in a humble and sacrificial love. Finally, God, would you bless the marriages in this church that they might shine like the gospel and show the gospel to many people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.